What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain one of the things that i get asked about a lot is my fitness routine. Like, what am I doing? And I try to put out some of the stuff that I do out on social media, on Instagram, and show you guys, give you a little window into my training methods. But really for me, I've been exposed to so many unconventional training methodologies that I just try to mix it up and vary it as much as possible. And I put some of that in my book, Own the Day, Own Your Life. And for those of you who read it, you have a good sample of the different type of systems that I'm training in my body. But it's also fun to just play and explore, to grab a kettlebell, to grab a mace, to grab the clubs, to get a slack line, to throw knives or hatchets or ninja stars, or get out there with your feet in the dirt and move around, go swimming, swim laps. There's so many different things, and I think all too often we get too confined to one type of fitness. So I encourage you guys to check out all of the offerings that we have at Onnit and on my own channel. So go to onnit.com slash Aubrey, navigate from there, check out the blog, check out the Onnit 6 fitness program, check out the equipment we have. It's going to feel great to move your body in different ways. We're not designed to sit on an elliptical and do bench press and only squat lifts and deadlifts. Those are all great, and I mix those in too, but it's nice to vary the movement patterns, and your body's going to thank you for it, I promise. So again, check out onnit.com slash Aubrey, and just explore, cruise around, check it out. See if there's something you like. Much love. Here we are once again with my man Luke Story, and a lot of shit has happened. For one, he decided to take ayahuasca. For two, he's having sex again. All kinds of new things to talk about. My good friend Luke Story, podcaster from the Lifestylist podcast, and one of the best guests that I've ever had on the show. So I hope you enjoy this. So what's up, man? Welcome back. Thanks. Good to be in Austin. Yeah. I was reflecting to our last recording here as I was sitting in your meditation room because I was asking you about running a conscious company and some of the things you do. And you're like, oh, we have this meditation room. So I went in there prior to our recording and um, busted out some kundalini yoga, some mm -hmm. kriya and some breath work. And I last time I passed out <laughs> and I woke up with my head hitting the, the it's not concrete, no, wood floor. And then like, kind of came out of that super dizzy and walked in here to record with you. <laughs> so today I went in there and I was like, learn from your past mistakes, Luke. And I just did a little mellow pranayama to kind of get balanced. Well, the last podcast was great. So actually I'm disappointed well, that good. you didn't Maybe have some I mild some concussive and, trauma yeah, yeah. <laughs> to shake you up a little bit. Yeah, it was funny. Um, but it, interestingly enough, <laughs> I got shaken up in another way. Like right before I walked in this room, I talked to my good buddy Elliot in LA and he's in a hospital right now. And it was kind of a heavy way to start, but it's just... It's one of those things that really makes you contemplate where you are in your life and what you're up to. But he's in a hospital um, within minutes, probably by now, taking his aunt off life support. 
mm. who had just been in a hit and run and been, you know, put into a coma like three days ago. So he called me just freaking out. Dude, dude, I can't stay in the room. And so I just went in the meditation room when I was oh, doing wow. my breathing and talked to him. So I'm like, wow, it just makes you appreciate um, every little moment. So For sure. being here feels good. And I'm glad to be above ground at the moment because you never know when you're not going to be. Yeah, I mean, me too. That was like a really depressing way to start no, the show. But, but that's, a, that's <laughs> it's depressing in one one angle that you can look at it. But that's it's also- true death is that constant reminder of how precious life is right Right. if something has radical abundance and there's no scarcity at all typical human response is not to appreciate it at all right it's like they said in that movie troy you know the gods envy us because we're mortal you know because that makes everything more precious because we have a time expiration on everything and we can either be attached and try to cling to it or we can just appreciate that man might as well enjoy this while we have it can i put you on speakerphone with my friend elliot yeah (laughs) for sure right god bless elliot if you're if you're watching or you end up hearing this yeah so anyway that was kind of just happened which is interesting but you're right dude it really is about framing things in your experience as always positive no matter how uncomfortable or painful they might be yeah and you know one of the things that i've been meditating on and i really want to get into your journey because you've done a lot since we last talked but i've been meditating on and it was actually mark manson in his book and the podcast with him that really illuminated this for me is that i framed things positive but i framed them as positive because they're i put a because there like this pain is good because it's going to yield this other good thing so it's conditional. It's con- and it's conditional, and <laughs> right, it has right. it has a reason for it, right? So right. I'm always constantly chasing the reason rather than just blessing it. Oh, this pain is good because it's pain. This pain is good. Full stop. Period. This pain is good. Whoa, and like really like blessing all of the full spectrum of human experience as human experience, not because it will yield a result. And yes, it may yield a better result, but in the moment, not only blessing it for the positive result, but just blessing it or it being it you know and not having that judgment and not having that thing that's better that you're hoping that this brings you to because then you're always chasing something that's better so you're always deficient that's and, a good take and that was, me, yogi bhajan said if you don't see god in all you don't see god at all right and that's the existential dilemma that many of us have with the concept of god right is that well if there's a god then how could you allow x y and z Mm. right mm-hmm. but there's no separation you know <laughs> right there is no x y and z there is no good and bad or duality from that point of consciousness but i, I like that take of you know having conditions because i'll find myself doing that like i'm going through something say challenging that's really painful and uncomfortable and i'll have to sort of use that trickery on my mind that's fighting it or finding fault in order to get to a surrender saying well I, it's okay luke because you're learning a lesson Mm. what if it's just okay because this is just <laughs> yeah, it's just okay for, <laughs> right <period>. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so that's, that's cool but i swear it's like one little flip of a thought like that and your whole life can change any experience i mean i've had so many experiences in my life where from the outside anyone would say oh my god you're such a victim you know this is the worst thing that could ever happen to someone and and looking back i go oh my god now i see why that happened because it led me into a deeper awareness or a deeper surrender and then when I go through things now, after the fact, I kind of know, all right, this is painful, but it does serve a purpose. I just don't know what that purpose is mm. when I'm in the moment that totally sucks. Yeah. And just just being able to sit with that thing without even knowing the purpose, just knowing that 
all things existing is the purpose and you experiencing all things is our purpose and this is the part of the spectrum that you get to experience now and what a privilege to get to experience that thing because there's nothing worse than the void which is nothing pain is preferable to the nothing right you know so bless that pain because at least you're feeling the pain you know at least you're here to feel it at least you have feeling at least you have sentience at least you're able to like experience the thing you know and if you can make that mental shift i mean i think that's where actual happiness lies it's not in some preferred state of oh this is joy or exuberance or i'm in love or i'm ejaculating or whatever the thing is that you think (laughs) is like happiness happiness is just the acceptance and the surrender to what is uh, loving your fate amar fati loving what is loving the experience that you're going through for the experience itself amen brother <laughs> that's the challenging thing to get to though like really challenging because you know ostensibly certain things are highly preferential <laughs> you know like uh, a nice oil massage is highly preferential to poison oak (laughs) you know like like it just it just is yeah but like to get to the most conscious place you can bless the poison oak like you bless that sweet almond oil rub at your turkish bath you know that sounds really good right about now (laughs) right yeah Yeah. i still prefer the sweet almond oil rub. that's funny because my girlfriend yesterday was like you need a massage when you land get a massage i ended up going and having a float instead which is kind of like kind of like a massage by god yeah well i did they had have a bomb i'm sure you know zero gravity institute right so they have a bomb ass massage chair so Mm -hmm. i text her i said yeah i got a massage no oxytocin but you know yeah the muscles a little bit yeah totally so what have you been doing man what's uh what's been going on you've been doing some medicine work you've been some other stuff well yeah since since we last spoke on my last visit here which i guess was a year ago which is crazy that's gone by so fast um i believe when i was here yeah i definitely not done uh, plant medicines at the time and we talked mm-hmm. a bit about that on one of our shows i forget if it was you on mine or vice versa and at that time i was also celibate for quite a long time which ended up yep. being a stretch of about 20 months or so maybe even longer uh, thankfully i'm through that particular phase <laughs> at the moment <laughs> the world is a better place yeah um yeah but pretty recently actually this week i just put out a two-part series on my whole trip to costa rica i went down to a place called rhythmia and mm-hmm. did four ayahuasca ceremonies and i did about five and a half hours worth of reporting kind of you know journalism i guess you could say gonzo journalism on the whole thing and um so it's pretty fresh in my mind and experience now because i just had to sort of compartmentalize it and put it out as some content for people but there's many things during that experience that i thought of you because you're one of the people that i know that has the most experience with that and also someone that I talked to to kind of vet the experience and feel it out for myself. Mm-hmm. I started to become, I guess you could say, like plant curious you know, over the past couple of years. Sure. But as we discussed last time, it was necessary for me 22 years ago to get sober, right? And so I've been recovering from a past that was wrought with addiction to a lot of really nasty drugs that have very few benefits and a lot of consequences and side effects, alcohol being one of them and a number of others that are highly illegal. So as a quote unquote sober person, it was something that was like, well, that's for the other kids to play with. A guy like Aubrey can do that, still come back, run a great company and keep his shit together. He's not gonna end up in a bar, like doing some Coke and leading to this and leading to that. And you end up Mm -hmm. on your knees in a jail cell somewhere. So like that's for other people. But as I started to research it more through speaking to you and and other people that are, you know, more clinicians 
et cetera, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, Gabor Mate, people like this, right, that see the value in plant medicines um, therapeutically and specifically applied therapeutically to people with addiction issues that are current, ongoing. Yeah. So that was always perplexing to me because in the lexicon of classical sobriety, if you're an alcoholic, then you, in order to stay off alcohol, you can't smoke weed, you can't do blow, you can't do meth, you just, drugs are off the table for you. So the idea of having in the past so many times been triggered back into active addiction because I thought, you know, I can, I can smoke some weed, like it'll be cool. And then that like spins out into, you know, total insanity. I couldn't get my head around like how um, a psychedelic couldn't lead you back to doing drugs. And I hear from everyone that it doesn't, but still I'm like, yeah, but what if it does? Because mm -hmm. the place that I come from is just such a dead end, you know? And it's many years in the past, but I have a respect for whatever goes on in my biology, my particular chemical makeup. If I took a drink of whiskey right now, I really don't know what would happen, but based on my past experience, it's not good. It's just this cascade chain reaction thing. So I'm a guy who has a history there. It's been a long time, but I also am self-aware and I know my past patterns and I know the reactions that happen in my body, but I'm also someone who's deeply interested in expanding my spirituality and getting closer to God and healing the trauma that made me an addict in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I do a lot of work around that. So as I started to do more and more research, one of the things that I found was that I really think it's 100% of the people that I've sought counsel from about plant medicine that were like, we don't like it, it's a bad idea, are people that have not done it, 100%. Yeah. And these are people that I respect. I mean, you know, yoga teachers, kundalini teachers, uh, meditation teachers, I mean, people that are wise, that are seeped in tradition, experience, people that have spiritual insights. Um, all of them said, oh, no, it's a shortcut. Like, you know, you need to learn how to climb. Don't take a helicopter to the top of the mountain. You know, just all these different analogies for why it's kind of a shortcut and a cheat. And you don't get to reap the benefits because you're kind of taking a shortcut, right? Mm -hmm. You should just meditate for 40 years and you'll get there instead of taking ayahuasca for six hours and getting there, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're going to have to come back to this experience and not get to take the teachings with you that you learned. Kind of something like that. I mean, I'm paraphrasing and making an, an amalgam breakdown of many people that I highly respect and admire, um, having that take, that it's just like, in the end, it's not worth it. Or even someone like Ram Dass, who's been an insanely prolific cosmonaut throughout most of his life. And then ultimately, I think kind of arriving at, you know, it's just you and God, and you don't necessarily have to take the psychedelic route to have a spiritual experience. So I'm taking that, but then I meet guys like you and so many other people that I respect that explain these profound breakthroughs and changes and healings of the heart, the mind and the body from plant medicines. And 100% of the people that are sort of not advocates, but just in their own subjective experience, say pro plant medicines, like a guy like you, you're not like, hey, everyone should do it. You're just like, this is what it does for me. I'm sure. digging it, right? You're intelligent enough to not tell other people to do it. 100% of those people are like, it changed my life forever. It's the best thing ever. So after a few years of kind of being curious and really being weary because of my sober state, I really started to just piece those facts together, that the antis have never done it and the people with experience are fully into it and say that it changed their life. 
some of whom are close friends, you know. Um, so eventually I started to just get these nudges from the universe, you know, and it was this one particular place in Costa Rica called Rhythmia. And someone, oh, have you met this guy and met this one? And, you know, like those little sort of pieces of the puzzle start coming together. And I pay attention to those signs and not that I always follow them and say, oh, this, you know, this is, I have to go to ayahuasca now because four people told me about this particular place or a book or something like that. But it's more about the feeling that I got inside when those dots connected. It was sure. like, hmm, there's a really strong draw. So long story short, I finally uh, reconciled my concerns and talked to a couple of people that have a lot of experience with plant medicines and specifically addiction recovery, et cetera and got my ass down to uh to costa rica and proceeded to have four well three out of four really beautiful amazing experiences and why i thought i thought of you a lot when i was down there actually because one of the things i think i asked you about i was like dude if it's for me if i do mushrooms or acid or something it's super fun and i kind of want to do it more you know like mm. wow we had a great shroom trip let's do it next weekend you know that's kind of how i was i mean i used to sell mushrooms i had five pound bags <laughs> of mushrooms in my hollywood apartment for years we just do them all the time and just go to dead shows and whatever. And you said something to the effect like, oh, Luke, it's not like that. Like, man, I'm never looking forward to going and taking ayahuasca. Like the taste gross. It makes me want to puke in my mouth yeah. just thinking of it. And you were like, trust me, dude, it's not the kind of thing that you're going to become habituated to or do for fun as like a party drug. Yeah. Right. And I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing your feedback. But I thought about that. I was like, okay, that's, that's a good sign because I'm someone who has a tendency to really latch on to things that feel good and you know that I could use as an escape from pain. So my intention in doing it was not to escape from myself and my shadow, but rather to face it, right? To really go closer to myself and to really look at the reality that is my life, my past, my consciousness, and to really heal. But when that first fucking medicine started to hit me, the first night I was like, fucking Aubrey, this is fun as hell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was, like, I was checked. Yeah, it's actually I really was like, fun. I'm ready to do this shit every day. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, and I have to I have to be real. You know, I promise people to listen to my podcast and follow the work that I do. My promise to them is that I'll be authentic. And I have to say, after not, I mean, I didn't have a glass of wine, I didn't have a hit off a joint, I didn't do anything like that for 22 years. And when that medicine started to hit me, I guess it was after the second serving. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was sitting there, I tried to sit up and kind of meditate into it. And when the visual started and the feeling started and my heart started to open, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I'm, yeah. I'm a guy that really likes to feel yeah. high, even though that wasn't my intention to go there and like, oh, I'm going to get a freebie because it's a psychedelic. I can rationalize that I'm not doing a drug and all that bullshit. I knew my heart was in the right place. But at the same time, I was like, wow. This feels good. Well, it's an encounter with, as you said, your heart opening up, experiencing something more. It's almost a hyper consciousness and a hyper sobriety rather yes. than an anti sobriety yes. or a drop in consciousness. Exactly. You know, so Dude. it is, it can be incredibly pleasurable. Well, here's, I mean, I had so many realizations and they're really fresh on my mind because, as I said, I just put this whole kind of opus work together about the whole experience. But the first night, as I was going, oh my God, this feels amazing. Like I'm, you know, losing the body, the personality, the ego. I'm just melting into this state of pure consciousness. And the veil that keeps all these other dimensions from our experience was lifted. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm working with a lot of different dimensions now. But in that moment, the thought that came to me was, I have never been so sober in my whole life. 
beautiful man. You can't get any more sober that's than it. that. It's fucking blistering, you know? blinding that is, And that's yeah. what's so weird yeah. about it. It's like, wait, I'm high as fuck, but I'm actually <laughs> more sober than I've ever been. How do you reconcile this? And I didn't even, you know, I didn't get into mentation or analyzing it. I was just like, oh shit. Now I'm truly, for the first time, in a state of, I think, as pure consciousness as I could get, where the personality's kind of back there somewhere. Sure, the ego's, you know, is aware. The physical body is there to a degree because I'm a little nauseous, a little uncomfortable. I, I know when it's time to move over and flop to my other side because I'm feeling yeah. a little sick. You know, right. like your body's there, but there's this grid in the room and this other intelligence or intelligence says that I'm now in communion with, whether it be God, the medicine, spirits, angels, I don't know, I don't care. But I know that like what I think of as being normal or being sober on a day-to-day basis is actually completely high on thinking, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. high on anticipation, on regret. It's actually like the mind is working so hard to stay out of this moment and survive whatever threats might be coming that you're actually no human i don't think is really ever truly sober right unless you're out of that right you know and so the first two ceremonies i'm going i mean i'm i'm my higher self or my consciousness is sitting there witnessing this profound silence there's actually really no thought no mind i'm just kind of floating there going whoa and those were the thoughts that i did have like oh shit this is really fucking awesome (laughs) but beyond that there was really nothing the first Mm -hmm. two ceremonies i was just experiencing the bliss of not being encumbered by thought and even emotions really you know and that's when i had that realization i was like wow this is a really a deeper level of sobriety but not one that you could go drive on the freeway with like i knew that i would have to come back to mind in order to experience the lessons that my soul is meant to experience being embodied here so i'm like aware that i'm just you know getting a, a glimpse at something that is perhaps constant when you're out of your body but it's just it's a glimpse enough to go oh okay i get it <laughs> like yeah. all the shit that i think is reality is actually a facsimile, a facsimile of reality and this is a truer state of reality hence feeling more sober than i've ever been in my life and from that purview you get the opportunity to gaze back at your former self your identification to self and your identification to trauma your identification to pain and start to untangle those knots that led to your addiction which was your attempt to solve the problem of your pain or of your trauma or whatever and go look at that and go like huh look at what you know look at what luke was doing there yeah. with that alcohol look what yeah. Luke was doing with that cocaine oh that's interesting and whatever it is cigarettes everything that's why all these hyper sobriety inducing plant medicines <laughs> yeah. why they're so effective with addictions because right. you get to have a different purview where you can actually look back and say oh maybe i don't want to do that anymore or maybe i maybe that's not exactly the best way to solve this problem oh absolutely and you know and again i'm not i'm not an advocate for other people especially and i have to be really careful for people that are in recovery if some kid has like six months sober off crystal meth and they're like oh, I'm going to go do ayahuasca. Mm. This will be awesome. Like, I don't know that you're ready for that shit and that it wouldn't lead back into a spiral. I think I waited for so long until I really felt in my heart and also just felt so committed to, dude, I don't want to be on heroin. I don't want to be an alcoholic. I don't want to smoke crack. I don't want to live like that. It's just not something I ever, ever want to go back to. But 
having that experience of this hyper psychedelic sobriety, if we could come up with a term for it, I'm sure there's a better one. Maybe it'll come to me later. But the very last thing on my mind was like, yeah, I should go back to LA and like start drinking beer again. You know, it's just like <laughs> not, that's the absolute opposite of where it took me. Mm. And, and you just indicated exactly where it took me. On the third night, it took me to, God, it's like I hesitate even talking about stuff like this because I always just start bawling. But it is what it is. Um, on the third night, I got to see the depth of trauma that I experienced as a kid. I've been in therapy. I've talked about it. I've read books about it. I've done podcasts about it. I mean, I thought I was over this shit. You know, the parents, the abusers, all the stuff is like, cool. Yeah, I can talk about it with a straight face. I don't get emotionally triggered by things I experienced in my past, but that one particular night, and it wasn't at all a negative experience because I knew that I was being healed, but it was just, holy shit, I really saw how badly I was hurt mm. as a kid. I mean, just, oh, fuck. I had no idea how psychologically traumatized I had been, and, you know, and physically in other ways, too. I knew about it mentally, and I thought I'd healed, and I'd worked on it, but that medicine was just like, check this shit out, kid. It was like, oh, fuck. And then, as you said, I could see so directly how... <laughs> you know, that I went to self-medicating as a logical solution. And I was actually grateful that I had the resources around me where I grew up and the culture that I was in that I was able to self-medicate because I don't know that I would have survived some of the things that I went through. I might have had a psychosis-type uh, situation where I just snapped Which mentally. Which is another, another way to protect yourself right. from that pain, right? Is to right. completely check out and completely disassociate with the self that has been traumatized, which is a form of psychosis. So in that way, perhaps the alcohol was a crutch. Yeah, you know, and thank at a, God at a, for at it. A certain <laughs> you know? point, right? So you can even yeah. reframe that, but it doesn't mean totally. you need to go back to the crutch because totally. you're now healing at the source. Yeah. And recognizing that when you're in that place of radical awareness and unicity and oneness and your heart is blasted open and your crown is connected with all of the intelligence of the universe and you can see with a clear purview, you realize that the essence of you, the true you, was never traumatized in the first place, was never hurt, was never marred, was never damaged. That part of you, which is infinite and always was the unborn and always will be the undying, was actually fine and is fine. And that's a really radical awakening too. Like, oh, okay, well, there's levels of this. Yes, the person, Luke, was yeah, hurt very yeah. badly, but the essence, you know, the nameless one that has gone by perhaps many other names and maybe will have many more names in the future was never hurt, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then so it could just radically change your perspective. And that's that's so interesting, yeah, because I hadn't really put, put that together, but as you say that, I am remembering this perspective that I had, which was like, it was as if my soul or my higher self was talking to this Luke Story personality that had been victimized and had gone through all of this trauma and was just my higher self was going dude you've been really hurt i higher self's going i haven't been hurt you've been really hurt <laughs> right. right 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 yeah you the entity that is embodied this time around october 29 1970 denver colorado you popped out and you've had these experiences and i want to show you how much they've shaped your life and how badly you were hurt so that you can fully face those demons face those shadows and recover and in a sense be reborn yeah 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that's hard to find on a, I mean, some people can, but it's hard to find that on a meditation cushion alone. It just is. Yeah. You know, and, it's a and, lot slower. It's a lot slower. And it, <laughs> I've been meditating for 22 years, dude. And, <laughs> and it's helped me a lot. And I, no doubt, I meditated this morning. I'm not going to stop. But it, it, on that medicine, um, I did, there was a lot of parallels between glimpses I've had in meditation through years of Kundalini yoga, through breath work. And they actually, you know, at this particular place, they integrate breath work and all this other stuff. So, you're sort of, it's all connected to the ayahuasca experience. But when I was in ceremony, I was like, ah, oh, I know this place, but just barely. Mm. I've touched on it, I've glimpsed it. I, I've, it feels familiar, but I've not lived here for six or seven hours or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just mm. like, oh, ding, you're in a float tank. You know, you did some kratom, like, oh, you relaxed. You had a moment where you're like, consciousness is observing you the person the body in the float tank or in the meditation or in the yoga class but not for that long mm -hmm. and not where you can sort of keep riding those waves and then all you know and i'm i'm like preaching to the choir here but for anyone listening it's really interesting because unlike other psychedelics that i have a lot of experience with recreationally like lsd psilocybin etc um when i used to do acid it, you know it comes on sort of slowly and you start tripping and then you peak you know i'm peaking bro and then mm -hmm. jerry garcia is on stage it's fucking awesome and then you got in the parking lot after the show and you start to come down off the acid and after a few hours you drink a few beers you smoke some weed and then the acid's kind of lingering but it doesn't come back and you don't peak again yeah. <laughs> so that's what was really interesting to me on the ayahuasca. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, I feel like I'm starting to kind of come out of it now. I'm, you know, I go outside, sit in the grass, watch the fire, watch the stars, and go, oh, thank you very much. That was nice. I'm ready to go back to my room now and just <laughs> chill. And the medicine's like, oh, hello, taps you on the shoulder again. <laughs> Here we go again. That happened a few times. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, the waves. Yeah, that was really un. No one told me that either. So I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And one night it was like three hours after ceremony. I'm in my room. I took a shower. I was on social media, just trying to like get normal again, kind mm -hmm. of, for lack of a better term. Not that being social media is normal, but I had to kind of use my mind to get out of that state. And then I was, I felt really off it and then laid down and like, boom, Back another in. three hours of, you know, this inner working happened. So, God, just such a, incredible experience and you know thanks to people like you for doing the experimentation and putting yourself out there and having the courage to be open about your experiences too um doing something that's not completely socially acceptable and that i'm sure a lot of people are judgmental against well they were <laughs> i think now not so much I think now, now yeah. you know you don't you see the opposite it's now been almost tipped to the other side of some form of spiritual merit badge some kind <laughs> yeah. of like boy you scout up, yeah bro? you got your eye patch bro yeah, yeah. you know like you're wearing like a general's jacket and you got your little list right. of medals that you have on right you know and so it's it's interesting to watch how that shifts because the ego will adapt to a different game you know of social acceptability and hierarchy of value and value structure yep. and, and if if ayahuasca places you in a higher value structure well you'll go do that to be in that higher value structure so you can go back to that social circle that holds that in high regard and be like yeah yeah you know i did it no big deal you that's know, like, dope. like whatever that's dope. and so you have to be mindful of all yeah. of those forces the which spiritual pride side of it yeah isn't that's the funny thing i've always observed about ego i remember years ago i was doing a lot of hatha yoga and 
I just started to have a little success in my career. And so I, I bought a BMW X5, you know, like a used one, but it still looked pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It's a car I still drive. I'm like addicted to those cars. I probably never switch. But uh, I found myself one day, there's all kinds of parking around the yoga studio. And I found myself one day, like going making an extra effort to park in the parking lot of the yoga studio. <laughs> and I said, why, why am I doing that? And then I could see, oh, because I want the girls in the yoga class that I never talk to. They never talk to me. <laughs> I'm not even really attracted to any of them that I've seen so far anyway, but I want them to see me, you know, driving a BMW so that at least they want me or they approve of me, right? right. And, you know, this wasn't the only time that I've observed the ego, but it's just one that stuck in my mind. And then I thought, well, that's the materialistic side of the ego. I'll just get rid of that. Then fast forward through more observation of the ego. Now I'm the one who's the hardest meditator in the yoga class. Mm -hmm. I'm the deepest. I wear the most beads. <laughs> you know what? I yeah, never yeah. wore beads, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Your like, power amulet is. Yeah, like I know. I know all the Sanskrit dominant. mantras, yeah, and yeah. like I'm, I'm that. And it's just, it's been so funny to observe the tenacity of the ego, and that it's it's really dumb you know the ego as sort of an um, a consciousness or an energy it's really dumb but it's also very clever so yeah it's a total community. you know it latches on to yeah. anything i'm the most spiritual and you know if you don't have the awareness of how like everywhere you go the ego you're on a motorcycle your ego is always in that little sidecar you know yep. it doesn't matter what street you go down how fast you go what you're wearing it's still there and it's ready to take credit or be ashamed or find some sort of value position for you to be in and to put everyone else in your environment into and the only way around it is just being aware of it and sort of loving and accepting it as part of your survival mechanism and just going oh cool thank you ego i appreciate it oh that you yeah. want to kill that person because they're cut in front of you oh thank you good look you can just step back <laughs> right even when i pulled up here today dude the opposite it's so funny of the bmw at yoga class i land in austin airport and on the way here on the plane, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to rent a car. I just had the idea. I think I fell for like a JetBlue ad on my phone or something. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to wait around for a, um, um, Uber. And then it looked like it was raining. So I rented a car and it, I was all kind of out of it from the flight. And I went up to the thrifty desk and something was messed up with my reservation because I did it from the plane. And she's like, well, we, we do have an economy car for you. And I'm like, yeah, just give me the cheapest. She goes, is the VW Beetle okay? And I was thinking, it's like, that's not really my steez, you know, yeah, but I said, yeah. ah, whatever, who cares, you know? I walk out of the parking lot, it's bright red, dude. <laughs> it's out in the lot. And it's so funny because when I pulled in here today, I was like, I'm parking that shit around the corner. <laughs> a lot of tough motherfuckers that on it. I'm not going to roll up in my red beetle. I'm already like not that ripped. I'm not going to roll up in my red beetle to the beast mode on it location. <laughs> and I just like laughed at myself. I'm like, thank you, ego. I appreciate you looking out for me. I really don't fucking care what kind of car I rented and what color it is. It's so dumb. But there it is, 22 years later, and the ego is still going, you need to be worried about what these people think of you. Yeah. You know? And the old, and now, it doesn't right. rule me because I have that awareness and I'm, I don't care, but it's just like, really? You're still trying that? Mm. It's like, God, what a tenacious ego I have that it still is trying those little games. Whereas if I had like been a baller and rented, I don't know, whatever car, a Hummer or some shit, I'd be like, I'm going to park this shit in front of the on it main doors. So all the guys see me rolling up in an expensive car. 
Or you could, or your ego could have flipped and been like, "Well, I'm supposed to be the spiritual guy, you know." And <laughs> yeah, I've got this yeah, fucking Hummer, cool and then I, got, I can't rent a cool car. And you can get in these endless traps of yeah. trying to seek that validation, trying to get the thrill and that pleasure externally from what other people think. And yeah, the, really, the only way out is is awareness, because no matter which car you rent, no matter what you do, the ego can be activated. There's no way that you can remove yourself from the game of the ego other than to be aware of it and to just kind of pat it on the head and be willing to challenge it you know be willing you know one of the things where i'm encouraging people in in my mastermind to do is like go on a fear date like go on some do something that really triggers your ego right so like wear something really stupid in public you know or like go sing a song in the middle of a park that you're not good at you know what i mean like do something that's like, oh my God, I really shouldn't do this. Obviously, don't hurt anybody. That's not yeah. that's not challenging your ego. That's impinging on someone else's freedom, right? But like, do something that your ego is like, oh no, people aren't going to like you if you do this or if you wear this or if you like this. And just to watch, just to observe, observe that that childlike ego squirm a little bit and be like, ah, you know, and be like, all right, well, now we see that you're, you know, you're exposed here, and this is what you're feeling, and like, interesting. That's brilliant advice, dude, and. Something I've done, I think, to sort of stack on that is I'll do shit that I'm embarrassed to do, which usually has to do with my self-care routines because many of them aren't socially appropriate. So I'm at when I was at the, what do you call it, a river or creek outside of Barton Springs pool today on mm-hmm. the other side of the fence. I guess it's a creek. I wanted to do breath work, and I also wanted to be in the sun. And there's hella people and their dogs. I mean, it's a packed little beach. Yep. Everyone's out there smoking weed, playing with their Rottweilers and shit. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to go over in the trees because I'm trying to get as much sun in as I can. The only sunny spot is where all the people are. And I thought, well, I'm just going to kind of lay down here and lay on my back and do a breathwork session. And then the ego's like, you're going to look like a spaz. Everyone's going to ostracize you and hate you and think you're a weirdo. And I thought, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Knock out two birds with one stone. <laughs> I'm that guy. Okay. I'm that guy. And also I'm going to be feeling really good out in the sun breathing. Now I didn't, you know, admittedly, I didn't go as hardcore as I would have like in a private setting. Sure. I didn't want to make people feel too uncomfortable, but I just said, fuck it. And I feel great having done that. But you're right. Those opportunities to just do you. I I do experience sometimes though that, and it's something I have to be aware of is to be kind of understanding and compassionate of the people that I'm rolling with that might not be um, as enthusiastic about doing themselves. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, I'm me, fuck it. I don't care what people think. This is an ego exercise to just be that guy. But sometimes people I'm with are like, dude, I'm not that guy and I'm with you. So can you chill out? So, so what, but what's <clears throat> the best thing to do? Is the best thing to challenge? that aspect of themselves that's uncomfortable with that or is the best thing to do to acquiesce and coddle it you know and like you have to ask yourself that question too like how am i showing up of greatest service to my companions here is it with that kind of devilish smile like i see you i know this is uncomfortable i'm doing it anyways because this is going to be fun you know and watch them go like have that moment of horror and then perhaps that moment of release where they actually laugh or start joining you and it actually forms a breakthrough for themselves so there's always that way to play. And it's not always the time to challenge somebody, but sometimes yeah. in that act of challenging might be the act of liberation because that's really what we're going for. Awareness is liberation. Awareness from the patterns of control. Our ego is always controlling us and trying to get us to conform to some idea of better than because it's in relative position. 
the like breaking free of that actually allows us allows that tension that most of us carry in our chest and in our stomach of am i fitting in am i doing right am i doing good enough am i am i am i enough is this is did i say that thing right or blah 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 by breaking those patterns and you can actually experience some freedom and then that can be really the greatest service that we can have to anyone you know but you also yeah. have to be mindful that like all right yeah. well breaking a pattern might be radically disruptive to our nice day here totally like, is this the time for that yeah yeah it, it requires a little bit of finesse i think yeah you know? for sure because it's like you can't force someone to grow faster than they're meant to grow you know you can't take that rose that you want to see and like rip the green leaves off you kill the rose kind of thing you know mm -hmm. so it's like I can't necessarily force everyone I'm around. Hey, look how self-conscious you are. Let's do some crazy shit. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know, so it is. But I think most of the time I have a pretty good gauge um, using empathy to see, you know, when I can kind of bring someone along in the experience and when they're just going to shut down and feel really, really uncomfortable, and yeah. I'd be doing them a disservice, and it's going to have the opposite effect where they're just going to get more self-conscious get more rigid but that yeah. rigidness might then be the retraction that leads to the expansion right it's just right it's really weird how you don't really know how you're tracking it and so many i see it in relationships all the time like people think that they're doing somebody a service by staying with them but they're just locked in this pattern of resentment and they're not really happy and they think they're doing it for them but they're constantly resenting them for being together with them but they think that if they leave them they'll hurt them and they're just looking in this very short-term coddling perspective like i'm going to be the ameliorant that's going to pacify this immediate discomfort well sometimes we need to suffer so much that we get sick of fucking suffering and sometimes like we just need that discomfort to be like i don't want to be uncomfortable anymore maybe i don't need to change the external world i need to change the internal world you know and i think that's one of the sacred roles that we can play but I, I do agree it takes some finesse but then i see people like one of my spiritual mentors ted decker who <laughs> he's kind of discarded he's so on board with that being disruptive that often because he's felt it himself he's felt the constriction of you know fitting into social norms and the anxieties of you know what people's perceptions would be that if he feels that and he feels that in the group he'll just he's not a good dancer but he'll just jump up on the table and start dancing in a restaurant or something like that and like everybody will be like oh god what is going on here <laughs> right. and he'll just he'll just know like he'll take that feeling and he'll know that there's there's learning in this you know and where it might not be comfortable like the discomfort is where the where the gold lies is where the treasure ultimately lies is everybody gets to then reconcile this discomfort and realize like why am i uncomfortable because right. my friend is dancing in a restaurant that doesn't have music playing you know like hmm interesting but it does require the ante of awareness to actually alchemize a discomfort into gold otherwise it's just alchemized into pure discomfort and you yeah. discard it and say i don't want to be around that person anymore yeah one has to have that witness perspective enough to see oh a part of me not me is getting uncomfortable right now what is that let me investigate that and yeah then, let me be curious yeah and then make uh, kind of an adult decision whether or not they're willing to push through it by being comfortable with the discomfort or whether or not they just have to recede back into that feeling of being trapped but if you don't have someone that has that framework they're just gonna be like this person's fucking nuts yeah. and i'm real uncomfortable every time they're around <laughs> but i guess that's how you sort out your friends right? Oh, right i mean your friends come to know you as the disruptor and the one who's gonna sort of push yourself and 
maybe not push, but maybe encourage some of the people around you to become free. I mean, I think that's what it is for me too, is like, I lived so much of my early life just in constant acute self-consciousness, just everywhere I went, I felt like everyone was staring at me. It's like, I used to feel like, I used to feel like I was like the star of a movie. And everywhere I went, like there was a camera crew following me around and everyone was watching. And then every once in a while, I kind of pulled my head out of that self-centered ass and go like, oh my God, no one's even paying attention to me, mm. you know? And so as I've become more free and able to just live my life and not be, you know, of course I have my red beetle moments and little times like that, but they're so short-lived because I see it and I'm like, fuck that, I don't care. But I used to live in that prison and so now I'm, I'm free, man. If I feel like being the weirdo that's doing breath work with my shirt off at the river or whatever, it's like the thought is so fast. I push through the experience of feeling like an outsider or being afraid of being judged so fast. It's a matter of seconds. And then I'm like, I know that that doesn't matter and I'm just gonna live my life. Yeah, yeah. I, and one thing that my mom taught me that was great, she was a professional tennis player and made it to the semifinals of Wimbledon. So it was very successful in that. And I was a basketball player. so. One thing she reminded me, because as an athlete, you put so much pressure on on performing because it's mostly what people think, right? It's like, what is the school going to think? What are your friends going to think? What is everybody going to, your coach? What is, uh, it, it's everybody, it's so important to everybody. And she's like, let me tell you something, Aubrey. Like, everybody's there watching you for the spectacle of it. And they want you to do well, but they don't really care. You know, they don't really care nearly as much as you think they care. Right. You know, like you're hypothesizing that if you have a bad game, like they're going to hate you, you know, because you hate yourself when you have a bad game, but they don't, you know, they really, it's just like, they're going to go on with their day and their night and their evening and their life and, and it's going to be fine. You know, it's like, so, and I think that's the case with so many people around us, you know, like I have totally so many people, so many people who... <clears throat> will come up and meet me for the first time and then they'll i don't notice anything out of the ordinary but you know say say hello and give them a hug and you know they tell me something then they'll come back to me five minutes later be like hey man i just want to apologize i was really nervous when i came up <laughs> oh, yeah, and talked to yeah. you and i was like huh i okay i mean i right. didn't notice anything man like you're good right you're good like i there was nothing i didn't see anything like that was your own internalization of what i what might be thinking but I didn't I didn't find anything odd about yeah, our meeting. I didn't yeah. find anything that was strange and it didn't bother me at all. So don't apologize to me, you know, like everything's good, man. It's weird how we're, we when we get in that place of self-centeredness where our thoughts and our awareness is completely on self that things get magnified, you know. Mm -hmm. I had this morning somebody DM me on Instagram was like, "Hey, heads up, 1 minute and 50 seconds into your last podcast your editors didn't take out your fuck ups or whatever cuz when i do the intros i'll be like edit you know and i kind of like bump the mic so they see yeah. something in the waveform that indicates there's a fuck up to take out and for a second my heart started beating i was like oh my god how many thousands of people have heard me go like edit <laughs> you know <laughs> and then thankfully in that moment you know i sent a little slack message hey guys clean this track up please thank you and you know i don't have to like demonize them and freak out and make it a big deal but for a second there i was like oh my god everyone thinks i'm stupid because i had a do-over that came out on the show and <laughs> it's like dude it so does not matter <laughs> at all yeah. no one was listening to that going i'm never listening to this podcast again right they just left in five seconds of fuck up or whatever. It's just, it does not matter. But that's only because I'm getting a little better at staying right-sized and not thinking that I'm all that important. 
or that my endeavors are all that important. Yeah, or and that, I mean that in the positive or sense. Or that your you know? endeavors are a reflection upon you mm-hmm. and what makes you you. you right. Know, like and and that that you're supposed to be perfect in some right. way. Like we really we really do believe that. Like we really have some internalized belief that we're supposed to be fucking perfect. Or when I'm perfect, then I'll be happy, Aubrey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we really think that. You What's know? bothering you? I'm not perfect. Can we fix that? <laughs> I'll try really hard. Yeah. But it's funny. That's what the girl said on Instagram. She's like, you sound like a bit of a perfectionist. That's the only reason I DM'd you. And I was like, nailed it. Thank you. Because <laughs> I am going to fix it right away, even though I don't care that much. I yeah. care enough to fix it. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting dance. And, and the, the through line of all of it is just deeper and deeper and deeper awareness you know like finding those in my last plant medicine experience it was a deep encounter with all of the mechanisms of control that i've really allowed to be placed upon myself from my desire for a certain outcome my desire to receive the thrill of sexual pleasure or the thrill of romantic pleasure the thrill of uh validation through friendship or validation through success or validation through the growth of my platform and my message and understanding that yeah all right these things are good i'm sharing love with people i'm sharing my truth but don't kid yourself and and not see the fact that you're also receiving in return some boost of that ego structure that's feeding off of this in a somewhat negative i mean it's natural but it, it you can get stuck in that you can get stuck in this pattern of being controlled by these thrills and by these validations and by these pleasures and by these approvals and by all these things that are like feeding your ego these little cookies until you're not really free anymore because you're stuck in this cycle of eating the sweets eating the sweets eating the sweets and not just getting the nourishment of radical presence and radical freedom and i spent like fucking two hours just puking out those mechanisms of control that i felt and I'm going to need to spend a lot more hours just because they're because they're right back. But just making that kind of marginal improvement in awareness of realizing, like, all right, yeah, all right, yeah, I'm aware of I'm aware of this now. Like, there's some forces of control acting upon me. There's some forces of approval that I'm looking for. There's a preference of this type of outcome and uh, hierarchy that this thrill is better than this, you know, quiet time or whatever else it is. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and so I'm like steering myself through this. But am I choosing it? you know that's really choosing it that's that's cool that's that's really good awareness you know when i was here last time i had been through a pretty rough relationship i mean some beautiful things about it of course otherwise you wouldn't be there but ultimately some painful experiences and uh, some patterns were revealed to me at the demise of that relationship and so i just stopped everything and it was really interesting because i spent those 20 months or whatever and not just i mean no porn no sex, no dating, no flirting, and also just zero intriguing with females at all. Attractive female across the room, I divert my eyes. I don't even have eye contact. So, you know, the purpose there is I really wanted to do a hard reset and really, really just be with myself and feel what it's like to not get that approval, the validation, the little dopamine hit of someone liking my photos and I like them back and, you know, all that little shit. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that, just part of the human mating ritual, I guess Mm. you could say. But having taken time and totally withdrawn from that for so long, I mean, I've not 
the last time I didn't have sex was when I was a virgin <laughs> in 1986. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know how long, but never took more than probably a couple of weeks, a few weeks off from that whole thing. But it wasn't just the sex. It was really what I really learned from was how much um, in my life from teenage years on, my feelers were always out for that approval and those little hits of like, I think she looked over the girl in Whole Foods like, yep, she definitely looked back. Luke, you're worth it. You know, that kind of shit or just getting high off the like getting the number and the thing and ah. not even to mention the, you know, the end result of having some sort of sexual encounter or something like that, which of course you hope happens on one level. But what really happened was the reset was so hard and it was so long that now I just, I really don't do it. I mean, I have a girlfriend now, which is a, another good reason to not engage in that way because it just doesn't feel good for me um, where I am with that. But I see how much energy I was putting into that, you know, pulling my car in the parking lot and wanting that attention and just everywhere I go, seeing if I can get a little hit off every attractive looking female mm -hmm. or even some that weren't just to see you know what i mean yeah. um so it's a really weird thing kind of going cold turkey on that and seeing like oh my god how much energy i've drained for no fucking reason other than just having really low self-worth and just needing people from the outside to say you're okay you're okay and then i go oh, okay thank you I just needed that one girl to just give me that little flirt or that like on Instagram. And then oh, I can just kind of rest knowing I'm okay. Whereas just cutting all of that off and having to really face myself was such a cool experience because there was nothing to feed off at all. Yeah. And if anything did present itself in the periphery, it just I just was committed to myself. I had a very firm resolve that it, it was I was just not going to engage and just see what that would be like. And um and now I feel so focused and so full of energy, you know, and being in a relationship now that I'm really happy with, it's like all that energy just goes into me and my bond with that person. And there's not that constant sort of bleeding of my energy and the constant, um, you know, the endless kind of insatiable desire to feel attractive or to feel wanted or to have some prospect for the future and all of that stuff. And again, it's not a, it's not a value judgment because I had a lot of fun living like that for- sure my whole adult life, it was amazing, super fun. Otherwise I would have stopped sooner. But when I wanted to have a different experience, it was like I, I had to kind of go cold turkey and have a very yeah. black and white thing. I couldn't just be like, well, I'm not gonna flirt as much or I'm not gonna have sex with as many partners or I'm gonna watch porn you know, less often. It was just like, nope, black and white, done, off. Mm. Off button on all sexuality. And then going back into it, I'll tell you what, bro, it's a fucking trip. <laughs> because it's all so new now it's it's actually really weird for me and um yeah it's it's weird because it's it's such a different experience now and especially in relationship entering into it in such a different way and you know really pacing it and going slow and being much more conscious and all of that about it i mean i don't want to go into too much detail at the expense of other people's privacy but um it's just a different experience you know and it's like everything's so new which is scary as hell because I don't have my old shtick. I have my thing. I know how to do the thing, mm. you know? Like, flirt, you get the girl, you do the thing. There's kind of a rhythm and a pattern to it. Um, so that's all been interrupted, which is a really similar kind of experience to plant medicine where you really get to zoom out of yourself and see your inner workings um, in an objective way. Whereas if you're just sort of caught in this repetitive, habituated pattern, yeah, it's very pattern difficult interrupt. to step out of that. Yeah, huge pattern interrupter.
Yeah. And and also now I can't and I can't wait to interview you and Whitney about your relationship. <laughs> I'm so curious about all of that because I'm in such a different place than I've ever been now in such a different place than that. It's going to be fun to do my show and kind of delve into all of sure. that. Um having been someone that's really experimented with a lot of different types of dynamics and things like that in, in the realm of relationship. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the open relationship experiment with Whitney and I has really cut through so many levels of these attachments that we have, these validations that we get from our partner, the specialness that we harvest from their approval and choice of us and, and all of these things. But there's there's elements of compulsion that I still see in the field that are difficult to wrangle because all right, so while I'm not particularly addicted to substances, I am f for sure addicted to the alleviation of thought. Right. Like, like the alleviation of thought <laughs> right. is like the ultimate painkiller for me, right? Yeah. So if there was a substance that I was more comfortable with, I probably would be addicted to that substance, but no substance really gets me to the place beyond thought. And psychedelics can, but sometimes a, there's a lot of work and it's a lot of thought. And so there's, there's, it's not a substance, but there's practices that become addictive. So those practices that get me out of thought. Well, one of the practices that gets me out of thought and drops me into radical presence is the novelty of a date. First of all, like a first or second date that's going yeah, well. Fun stuff. I'm not thinking about shit else. <laughs> yeah. Like I am so fucking there in the yeah. moment. You know, like I can, I'm just fucking there. And that that is like, okay, well, that's a drug. You know, and that's a drug that, is hard is is something that's hard to reconcile because and i think the only way for me to get beyond that drug is to get to the place where i'm not thinking so much and not suffering with my own thoughts so i need the alleviation of thought to be in that level of enjoyment so i know that that's one thing that draws me towards you know going out on a date or or having interest in a new partner it's just that your whole world focuses into the present moment of the interaction with that person and then sex is like the is taking that to another level because you have the current of pleasure that's also locking you into the present moment and kind of filling that moment with this eruption of you know the rose petals of delight you know that are just cascading upon you and you're there and you're not thinking there either so it's like two massive pain killing you know thought killing drugs that you're driven to plus you layer on top of that the validation oh you go out on a date with this new girl and then everybody's like oh damn she's so fine you know and you're like yeah <laughs> right, no, right. no big deal whatever i forgot about that you part. know like, yeah, yeah. like there's so many yeah. different elements but fundamentally the experience itself is probably the most one of the more effective drugs now i can do it in a float tank too and i can do it in other places too and i'm i'm starting to choose more of those and i can do it in meditation and i can do it in those other things but I think really the only way out of the trap for me, I could go, one option would be to be like you and go, you know, abstinent for a while and then allow these other things to rise to a higher level. It's no party. And then engage it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> you know, but I'm trying to do it all simultaneously yeah, where yeah. with awareness and be like, okay, I get it. I get it. Like this is a drug. Cause even, even like in my own mind, even when I'm, trying to go to sleep or i'm trying to nap or something like that i know that i can snuggle into an erotic impulse in my mind and it'll be like a little haven where my thoughts kind of disappear and all i'm thinking about is some girl's pussy <laughs> you know like that's like it's soothing that's my whole yeah. world and it's just like my teddy bear of thinking <laughs> you know where like nothing else is bothering pussy me. teddy bear yes <laughs> that, and yes. like 
And so like realizing like this is an ameliorant, like this is a this yeah. is not only the experience which is rich and and has a lot of value, but it's also a painkiller. So I have to eliminate some of the pain that I'm kind of walking around with, which is my obsessive thinking and my anxiousness and my stress that I feel about fulfilling some either obligation or opportunity or responsibility that I have to be a certain way or whatever. And so it's interesting to now, and this is fairly recent too, I don't think I've talked about this before either, but it's interesting now having that awareness of like, all right, I see these forces of control that are upon me and I see these compulsions that are not always negative, but they also, how do I, how do I get myself more free? Well, I got to get myself more free by like building and feeding the baseline contentment of just pure existence itself. Right. Yeah. And like, that's the, that's the thing that I need to, and I'm going to spend the next stretch, like really focusing on. I'm so familiar with all of that. Yeah. You (laughs) just kind of brought me back to the sense of withdrawal when I just stopped doing all that. I mean, it was easy at first because I was in a kind of a painful predicament and I just touched a really hot stove and was like, I'm out. Like I need a break, Mm -hmm. you know? But when I just, when I decided that um, the way that I, I felt I could most effectively break the patterns that I had developed and the way that I entered into a relationship, um, just who I became in those relationships, et cetera, some of the things you just described. And when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go full on with this and as long as I need to go until I feel like I've changed and I've broken those patterns and I'm orienting myself in a different way. So I don't know how long it was going to be, but ended up being a really long time but then after that initial sort of wave of relief I'm like okay I'm out of that scrape like I can just chill and then I was left with myself dude just going to bed every night alone no little shits on Instagram nothing happening dude no like Mm. I'll just you know I'll just look at some light core porn on my phone for a couple minutes just because it feels good and i get mm-hmm. in that cozy spot i mean let alone going down the rabbit hole like on a full-on computer you know what i mean <laughs> you know, porn has its degrees guys listening will understand you know but i was like no i'm not even going to do like lesbians kissing like nothing yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. and cutting all of that i'm thinking of like the most light core porn possible that's probably it did you shut off the porn of your own mind did you were you able to shut off your own fantasizing well, you know, I didn't try to do that. That's the thing. Okay. I still did. At first, just out of habit and kind of boredom, I still would. It's really, how do you say this? I would still like, uh, you know, uh, take care of business occasionally without mm-hmm. the stimuli of porn. But I found it really difficult because I was so habituated to having porn sure. be like the instant dopamine on high, the unnatural sort of variety and speed at which, a, you know, a male mind can kind of work itself through some different scenes and whatnot. So I was like, well, I don't have a rule for myself against masturbation per se. I'm going to just be real here. So at first I would kind of try it here and there and fantasize about something, Mm -hmm. you know, but it was actually really hard to engage and I just couldn't really get into it. And it was quite boring. So I kind of just, for the most part, just stopped trying to do that just because it was not that exciting. Mm -hmm. And so I never tried to quit. It just sort of naturally faded out for the most part, not entirely. But what ensued was probably a six-month period of just feeling really lonely, super empty, just the house is real quiet at night, 
You know what I mean? Just going to bed like, oh God, I am really, really, really alone. And I have my homies and I have friends. I have a full life. I live in LA. Like it's not like, you know, I live in a small town somewhere and I'm truly alone, but just not having that medicine that you describe, like, oh, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable or stress or pressure or depression or a little anxiety. And I'm just going to self-soothe since I removed all effective means of doing so. There was a really uncomfortable period of going like, is this what it feels like to be me? Shit. This isn't that awesome sometimes, especially at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, because that's when I would usually sort of seek that comfort, whether with a partner or myself. But the rewards, like I was saying, when I said earlier, oh, you know, now dating and stuff is really weird. And that's not the right way to say it. It's actually really beautiful and it's amazing. It's just all of my senses are so heightened now because I went through that period of withdrawal and just completely shutting it all down and now i'm coming at it in such a different framework that it's just it's not weird it's just different but it's so beautiful and so amazing it's just everything is like brand new again physically and otherwise and so it feels really kind of foreign to just even be close to someone and start to care about someone and have a different kind of intimacy mm-hmm. um, emotional in- intimacy mental physical sexual all of that is just like whoa i'm in sort of uncharted territory here just beautiful and exciting but it's also just different because i'm not coming at it from a place of like needing that or needing that as medicine or a form of self-soothing right it's because i just it's just additive instead yeah i really crave the framework of a relationship um as a means by which to grow and evolve and to share more love that i have inside and to receive more love so it's it's about the expression of love and then sex and you know the intrigue and all of those things that are kind of druggy and exciting at a certain point those are most the byproduct of the foundation of the relationship which is mm-hmm. more built on you know i think more substance than perhaps i've had in some cases in the yeah, past yeah that's great i mean it, it <clears throat> begs the question you know for me and for anybody listening like how committed are we all to our own self-betterment and our own satisfaction and happiness like how committed are we are we are we committed (laughs) enough that we'd be willing to give up sexuality for a time being if that was going to be our to our own self-betterment like do we have the courage to make that short-term sacrifice for that long-term gain do i have that courage i don't know am i kidding myself and saying that i can you know navigate this without releasing it and navigate it while being in it you know maybe maybe not i mean i don't think you have to get rid of your all your wealth to understand that you don't have to have attachments to your wealth right like you don't need to become ascetic to actually learn the lessons of it and i do believe that but maybe in certain cases that's not the case and maybe in certain cases you need to test that theory and make sure that oh yeah i'm not attached to your wealth. okay well live modestly for a little while okay yeah i'm not attached to my sexuality okay well don't have sex for a while right. you know like let's let's just test the theory yeah i'm not addicted to the nicotine okay don't have it for a while i'm not addicted to cap okay don't have it for a while like i think we all we need to check ourselves a little bit because we can always convince ourselves of whatever we want to convince ourselves of you know like the mind has that ability to be like no no yeah this is this is the path that's fine but it's good to just be the devil's advocate to a certain degree and be like you sure buddy (laughs) like you sure you could do all right with this and i've had you know brief moments of that like i went on a spiritual dieta which was 21 days and you're not even supposed to think about sex not even supposed to have a sexual thought you know or even think about eating indulgent food it's like a very like 
modest, meager, isolated existence. Well, it started with some uh, Peruvian shamans, but I ended up doing it in uh, British Columbia and Sedona. So isolation, you know, really modest food and no sexual thoughts nor indulgent thoughts of any of any type, right? And it was interesting, really valuable, you know, and, and you're not even supposed to dream about sex. So I remember like coming in and having some level of consciousness around day 12 when i was starting to have this orgy dream i was like no 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 you can't do this <laughs> i had like a las vegas buffet food dream yeah, i was like no yeah, no, no, yeah, no yeah. you can't do this but then by like day 19 i had a full-on wet dream like i was a kid and just was like funny. released into the cosmos like i can't take it anymore that's interesting but it was how it old was, are you i was 34 then i think oh so it wasn't just too long about four years ago but um that's that's a trip yeah it's interesting to to check that and i'm probably due for another little check i had a little check check in with myself in patagonia went into isolation for about another uh 18 days or so that was the more recent one. that was the more recent yeah, one. yeah, that yeah. Was in December. I, I remember hearing you talk um, about that yeah but i didn't have as strict uh strict guidelines and right. i was wrangling some did you have some photos larger, of phone, at least <laughs> yeah i did and no i had service but i had that <laughs> yeah, secret had, folder no doubt i had remember the, back in the day there the used to be this folder. when i was a, a you know a bit looser uh in that way there used to be this you know because when you put anyone that has an iphone no you can't like hide any of the photos in your phone and there was this app called secret calculator oh yeah you know that back, back in the oh, day what are you yeah. talking about this is a current phenomenon oh it is that's <laughs> yeah. funny yeah and it looks just like your regular apple calculator uh-huh. but if you know the code you can store photos in there that aren't in your iphone library you know that was the go-to back in the day <laughs> i've since deleted that but you know on that note you know how you know how many of us are that committed and to to really like stop and take a look at yourself I'll be honest, I don't think I ever would have done that thing I did for those almost two years had I not been uncomfortable enough and mm-hmm. really saw that I had patterns that were not only hurting me, but hurting other people. And I just, I I had to find a way to change. And I knew that, well, I had the sense that I wouldn't be able to do what you're describing, where like you kind of just work your way through it, but you're not really abstaining from any of that behavior. You're just kind of like, oh, let me just feel this out as I go and make changes um as i'm still active in those ways and so it's not like um for me a thing of um you know that i did it out of virtue or something like that it was just out of desperation and necessity of this shit is not working and i don't know how to fix it so i'm just going to stop everything and start over and then i did i read tons of books on love addiction sex addiction codependency i mean all that kind of shit just like why do relationships not work for me there's one common denominator and it's It's not fucking them (laughs) you know it's i select them yeah and so you know we're a perfect maybe trauma bonding match or we you know match each other's broken parts or traumatized parts or whatever it is and also have loved many of them and they've loved me but i wasn't getting the results that i wanted and it became really painful and that's why I made the decision to take such a drastic step back. Probably would have been a lot easier to just kind of like, well, I'll just take it a little slower next time or something, you know, or maybe see fewer people or whatever, you know, the case may have been. So, but may not have been as as effective. And but I think what you're highlighting there too is that the blessing of suffering, like the purpose and the blessing. That goes back to the beginning of our conversation. That you suffer enough until you get sick of it. Yeah. Okay, I'm really fucking sick of this. And now I'm going to do something about it. And that's why these ameliorants, that's why these things that just numb our pain enough or these relationships where you're being just a crutch enough, just feeding them just enough validation so that they don't really have to reconcile their own shit. You're not doing anybody any service. You're just actually delaying 
the amount of minimum effective suffering for them to actually change. You're actually like keeping them from hitting that rock bottom place where they can actually bounce from and help. So we have to be mindful that when we think we're helping somebody, maybe we're fucking not. Yeah. Maybe we're really yeah. not. Maybe we're actually slowing their growth. We're cu- we're thinking we're cushioning them and we're feeling good about it. Oh, you know, I'm holding them. So, you know, they're going through a tough time and maybe it's like the most loving thing to do from the most divine loving perspective is like let them fall. Yeah. They'll get scraped. They'll decide that they don't like that. I've witnessed change. the phenomenon of enabling, you know, in the context of addiction recovery and stuff like that. It's a really hard one for people that are close and care about the person suffering to get because it's so hard to not quote unquote help someone that's suffering that you care about you know but there is such thing as enabling and i think you're alluding to that in a relationship you know you were talking about before where two people think well it's easier on both of us to just stay together even though it's not really working and we're stuck and we're not growing it's like a dual enabling Mm. and enmeshment of enabling each other to stay the same instead of just ripping the band-aid off and be like this isn't fucking working how do i not only end this but not just enter into a similar dynamic with a different person with a different name and face that's the exact same person again yeah you yeah know? yeah try and try and repeat the same repeat the same thing and expect a different outcome i mean that's yeah. like the definition of madness to do the same thing and expect a different oh, result dude. story of the first many years of my <laughs> so life story of all of our lives man. yeah yeah you know but uh yeah and just that growth comes in moments of awareness and then you grad it will gradually shrink and fade you know that kind of blistering hyper sobriety that you experienced in the ayahuasca you know, it's up to you how much of that you can keep, but I would be willing to bet it's not going to be the whole thing, you know, and that's why the practices of meditation and the practice of going back and experiencing it again to teach you again and remind you because, you know, the ego and all of these other forces, the societal pressures, they're tenacious and they will get their entangling vines and try and bind you back up into feeding off of those you know brownies and thrills and cookies of of the approval of the world in terms of having your own experiences with trauma which we all have to varying degrees i think we experience them subjectively almost as bad as the next person even though from the outside one looks worse than the other seeing that the the ayahuasca was such a healer of trauma and what i'm starting to sense is also a healer of the triggers that result from trauma you know that the subconscious sort of loops that we have from kind of mind and brain injuries that happen in trauma and then later in life something reminds you of that and you get triggered and you freak out inappropriately have you seen in your own life that the medicines that you've taken have healed traumas to the degree where a trigger is just removed and you're finding yourself going holy shit i'm not triggered by that thing anymore oh yeah i mean it's not just it's not just the plants but those things have shared you know a lot of illumination on on all of the triggers you know and all of these different patterns and and when i do the plants it's almost like there'll be a a review period like you said like you think you've dealt with this like let's make sure right you know like six months ago i had a plant medicine journey and i thought i was pretty healed from a really traumatic uh experience with whitney taking on a really sexually aggressive lover right and this was very traumatic to me i oh, see yeah. it as incredibly traumatic Dude. right so <laughs> so i thought i was like i thought i was good uh, about it and i took a really light psilocybin dose and i was like i'm just gonna cruise here on this nice evening in sedona and i just went 
like straight full on in to the trauma of that experience and how I had validated myself in all of these ways and how that challenged that and how it was a symbol for I mean, all of these things. And I was like deep, deep in it. I was like, fuck, like that's like still obviously really there for me. And then this most recent experience I had, I went back into there and a little check and there was just like a little ding, like a little, like a little tap on my, on my kind of stress center. And I was like, okay it's there's like there's a little bit there but not nearly as much you know like not nearly nearly as much i'm not identified with that person that would be traumatized by that thing i've evolved i've shifted and i don't need uh, that isn't something that's a mirror looking back at myself and causing me to feel this pain anymore but there's a little little check so there's still even though the mirror has shrunk from a full life-size jumbotron version that was beaming something (laughs) that told me i wasn't worthy of love and everything else now it's just like a little tiny little flip phone version that was paging me something it was like eh, not completely gone but you know mostly gone so it's nice to have those moments where these really challenging triggering things you can see dramatic progress you know through the work yeah because it makes you keep going you know totally i had an interesting experience on the very last day um on the retreat i was in in costa rica and we were so we had done that yeah we had done the four ceremonies and it was the last day before i was going to fly out and i wanted to go into town and go to the beach and like cool man we did a lot of great work and i'm just you know still kind of not high but you know how it is like you're in a really heightened state of consciousness and so a local kid um, who was also a participant had his car there and he's like, oh, I'll take you to the best beach, like locals only. I was like, fuck yeah. We pull out of the out of the campus at Rhythmia. We go, I mean, maybe 300 yards and I'm in the front seat riding shotgun. There's like a packed car in the back, a tiny little car and some other participants. And we're going on the road and there's like a curve to the left and it was a slow motion thing. You know, when you get in a wreck and it's like, everything goes slow motion. I look over and he's just like, blah, 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 blah. And just fucking rolls the car off the road no into way. a ditch. Yeah. Flip over, boom, bang, boom, <laughs> broken glass, the whole thing in that slow motion kind of way. I haven't rolled a car since I was about 16. So it's been a while. I've been in a couple accidents, but not where you're upside down going, am I alive? Am I cut? Am I broken? You know? So yeah, we flip upside down. And I undo my seatbelt and I forgot from the, you know, because it was when I was 16 that if you undo the seatbelt and you're upside down, you're going to fucking fall <laughs> and hit the roof, you know? <laughs> so I undo my seatbelt. I'm like, boom. And I, you know, oh God, I kind of tweak my neck and then I climb out and, you know, help the other people get out. And it was just so weird because I wasn't upset at all. Like my heart wasn't yeah. beating. I was just chilling. I had a smile on my face. I was just happy everyone was okay. I'm happy that I felt strong enough to help some of the older people out. And one woman had a substantial cut on her foot and was bleeding a little bit. No one was terribly injured. I mean, I might've freaked out more, I guess, but it was just interesting. Like it was so close to those four ceremonies that I was still in the medicine, you know, yeah. I was still in that place of being completely untriggered and in touch with my true self, my higher self. So this little melodrama of physically being embodied in a metal and plastic thing with rubber tires that flipped upside down on the side of a road was just like, ha ha ha. I mean, it was like, <laughs> I, was just laugh. I was like, what's the big deal? So yeah. what? And, and I was posting shit to Instagram and everyone's like, dude, are you okay? Oh my God. Like everyone's yeah, freaking yeah, out. Yeah. I was like, what's everyone freaking out about? It was literally like no big deal. And then even looking back, I look at the Instagram post. I'm like, oh, shit, that car was totaled. 
And I just got out and was like, is everyone cool? Okay, great. Are we still going to the beach? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like we, you know, Zuber needless to say we didn't, but it was interesting to see how just, you know, the physical danger trigger, at least in that moment, was relieved. Yeah. And I, it was kind of um, a sneak preview of, oh, wow, I wonder if some of these other triggers, triggers when I feel insecure or judged or if somebody makes me angry or I feel threatened in some way, am I going to be able to not be as reactive as I was flipping that car, you know, as a result mm -hmm. of working through some of those wounds and having that medicine and that weird ET fucking grid that scanned my body and fixed stuff, how much more fixing could be done? And I think that brings me back to you saying like, oh, it's not, you know, you're not, you're probably not going to want to go do it all the time. I don't want to go do plant medicines all the time because of the high, which was fun, admittedly, as I said in the intro, but I want to see what else can be fixed. You know, if I can roll a car and be like, I'm cool, <sighs> then maybe my girlfriend doesn't text me back fast enough and I don't have to get all insecure about right. it. Doesn't mean she doesn't care about Liberation from, and I think you your, know word, your word melodrama is perfect, right? Because <laughs> right, like we're right. always stuck in these constant little melodramas, these yeah. little telenovelas where everything is so important. Like the pain I felt from Whitney taking that lover, like I can look back on it now and like, she was just having sex, man. Like right. she was just having sex. You're, sex that's not dissimilar man, <laughs> not dissimilar than sex you have and like right. look at the pain you felt right like, and have compassion for myself like oh but also know like look at the little melodrama you were playing in like it didn't matter fundamentally right. it wasn't a big deal she wasn't being hurt you know but like some, you know the thing is with that if you still have that trauma trigger there and those those instincts are still you're still under the control of your instincts, right? Because your instinct doesn't want you to share the person you're procreating with. And we're just not wired that way. One could say, you know, the sex of Don thing. Yes, we are. But at least in the framework of our culture, it's a very- well, outside of our tribe, you can say that that's Right, true. right, yeah. okay. So it's a really, in a sense, you know, a natural God-given sort of response to have. And one could intellectually say, okay, what's really going on here? You know, I'm putting myself in that situation. What's happening is- a human being that I, a soul that I know that's embodied in this blonde female body is now having this other embodied soul in a male body touch their meat suits together in certain places, and that's causing a chemical reaction in them. Who gives a fuck? Why should that bother me? You know, that's the, like, that's actually what's going on. Yep, that's awareness. But two... <laughs> you know that's an intellectual awareness but to actually have the triggers to that removed where you can be cool with that i mean that's some jedi shit man and there were you know it's weird it's not, yeah jedi makes it sound like it's fucking elegant it was grueling it was yeah. crawling and vomiting and praying and crying oh, and like vomiting again and oh, feeling dude. sick and angry and going insane and you know regaining consciousness like right it was not it was not jedi it was fucking brutal but it was and also the, all the plants and all and it was divine in some cases and there were some jedi moves and some choices maybe interwoven in there that were elegant and were cool but it's fucking gnarly yeah but it's but it's possible and it can reprogram certain things like the physical danger thing right yeah. like that is a biological imperative but when you see that death is just an illusion anyways and that our consciousness that going back to what we said earlier the part of you that's unborn and undying that has never been traumatized and never been hurt and can't die anyways then you can reframe that and be like oh okay well i'm not quite as scared of these biological threats anymore either and I'm not quite as scared as these sexual biological threats either. And I'm not quite as scared of any of these things. And you can find a greater sense of liberation. I think for the practice for me has been piecemeal where, 
years ago, I started out with the low-hanging fruit, the easy ones. For me, one of the big ones was um, parking tickets, which you tend to get a lot in LA if you're not super present. It's also yeah. a really good sort of presence you know, tool also, because if, you, if you're if you not present when you drive in LA, it's going to cost you about 120 bucks a day to drive around. <laughs> but I remember the first few times that I started getting a ticket and then I learned to be more present, needless to say, but I'd walk out to the car and I would see that and I would be able to catch the trigger. I'd be like, these fuckers, Illuminati, ah, you know? And it's like, oh, and then I could calm down and breathe really quickly. And then it got to the point where I think now most of the time I could come out to my car and actually just be like, oh, there's a piece of pink wood pulp on a glass thing that I don't even own that's held down by a little metal bar called a windshield wiper that I also don't even own and it has some ink numbers on this wood pulp. It doesn't fucking mean anything. And I have know? to give some wood pulp to, <laughs> yeah, to, to exactly. fix this wood pulp. So I have to go on my computer and like do pretend clicks that mean some, you know, <laughs> some numerical value somewhere in some grid of a system. You know, it's like, I can do that, but there are certain things still that I don't have that ability. But I think stacking those little triggers and you know learning how to keep in control of your nervous system, ice baths are great for this too, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I honestly, dude, I do, I like live stream in my ice bath. I'm just like, cool, let me check the temperature, 32 degrees, perfect. Get in there. So guys, here's what I'm doing today, da, 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 da. And I'm, you know, my breast is a, a little fluttering, but I'm chill. But that wasn't like that the first time I did one. Nope. You know, now nope. it's just, okay, so if I can do the ice bath, maybe when I have a conflict in a relationship, I don't have to freak out and think it's the end of the world. I can just breathe through it. Now, I don't know if I'm to the point where I could <laughs> breathe through the experiences you guys are. Well, it's just, right a, it's just a different ice bath. Man. Yeah, it's, it's just a, a different, different fucking ice bath, bath with a different, different the stimulus. Fires of hell. <laughs> fires of hell ice your, bath. For your ego and yeah, manhood. Totally. Yeah, totally. But it's all, it's all good stuff. And I think that's one of the things I, I love about talking to you, dude, is you know, you're someone like me that just has that fire to evolve and it's just evolve no matter what, you know, grow, 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 no matter what. I think if I'm addicted to anything, it's addicted to growing mm. and evolving because I also don't want to come back around here again and have to go through the same bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel that I'm passing through these different lessons and grades as a soul. I mean, there's just my framework of the universe and life. And I don't want to come back and be like, eh, I'm jealous. Like, fuck that. I want to be done with that. Move on to the next thing and on to the next thing. Not just for the next life, but for this one. Yeah. So yeah. much, so much joy and uh, ecstasy and pleasure and awareness and acceptance of all of the full gamut, not just the positive side, but also, like as I was saying, the negative side too, and just appreciation for being embodied and being in polarity. And that's, you know, that's heaven. The kingdom of heaven is upon us. It's here if and, we accept it. Yeah. And not only do you get that, you know, the personal satisfaction of growing, but you get to be a light for other people that have yet to go through those particular lessons you're going through. One of the most profound things that I had in those ceremonies was, um, you know, seeing how badly I'd been hurt. And then as a result throughout er my early, mostly earlier life, hopefully not anymore, um, hurt a lot of other people. And it came to this thing, uh, a mentor of mine used to say, he said, Luke, hurt people, hurt people. You know, and that's a way that I was able to find mm -hmm. compassion and forgiveness for perpetrators, you know, not to condone their behavior, but just to know that they were just hurt. And if I've hurt anyone, it's for that reason. And then I had this realization um, in Costa Rica. Okay, so hurt people hurt people. And I thought, well, what am I actually doing here with my life? Like, why am I so driven to evolve and change and have a framework that I just described? And it's like, well, I'm healing myself. And then I thought, well, that's selfish, isn't it? And then I had the thought, 
healed people heal people. Mm. And so that's the purpose of the healing is to demonstrate for other people like, hey man, I'm walking through the fire. I'm healing myself of all the shit that I've been through. If you try what I'm trying, it'll probably work for you. And so I came to the realization that I'm actually a healer, but not a masseuse or something, not anything wrong with those type of healers, but it's a healer and just like, hey, I'm, I'm putting my soul through an experiment here to see how much one can evolve in one lifetime and I'm healing myself and at the same time doing giving everybody my small to part do the same. yeah my small part and um you know hopefully turning other people onto the same framework no doubt my brother well thank you for coming on and there providing your healing here today oh uh, thank you man good yeah. to see you dude and then i'll be on your podcast with whitney too i can't wait i know That's yeah gonna be i've been so prepping for this one this is gonna be yeah, fun this is gonna be fun for yeah, sure man well thank you brother anything else you want to point people to besides your podcast Oh, the Lifestylist podcast, which, of course, obviously you will be on a second time. And um, everything else I do is at lukestory.com, S-T-O-R-E-Y. And uh, there's links to all my social. I'm most active on Instagram, yep. you know, as we are right now, live streaming this. I live stream everything I do that's remotely interesting to anyone, I think. So. <laughs> yeah, but mostly the podcast is my jam. Cool. Thank Thanks, you, brother. Aubrey. You too. Appreciate you, man. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to another conversation with myself and Luke Story. Make sure to check out his podcast, The Lifestylist. He's also on the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. Check him out there. Check him out everywhere. He's the man. He always has a great perspective. And once again, drop into my blog, aubreymarcus.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Check out all the cool things that we have going on. I love you very much, and I'll talk to you next week.